electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. A busy show for you to close out a very busy and volatile week. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. I am Brian Sullivan. Well, tech not holding on. At least it was down earlier. Quite the reversal. Either way, many once-loved stocks down 20, 30% from their highs. It begs the question, has the Fed lost control of the markets? The selling storm this week also hitting the arc. The once Wall Street darling wiping out its gains for the year. And the options market is telling us the pain may not be over. Plus, why FANG is the new FANG. Oil stocks back in favor. And we have got an amazing stat for you about the growing gap between energy and big tech that you got to hear. Plus, our weekly exclusive look at the biggest insider buys of the week. What insiders are buying the most of their own companies with their own money? The top five names for you to hear coming up. All right, more on all that ahead. But we have got to get right to Dom in this crazy and some might say upside down market. Dom Chu, I was prepared to toss to you about the red on the screen and the selling. And look what's happened. The buyers have stepped in. Green like a Christmas tree out there right now. Uh, not not a lot, but it's still very different than it was just an hour, two hours ago in trading so far. There's a good amount of symmetry specifically within the S&P 500 I want to highlight because we're hovering right around that 3,800 mark there for the S&P 500. At the highs of the day, we were up roughly 40 points or so. At the lows of the day, we were down almost the same amount, 38 points. So again, a little bit of a symmetrical up and down trade there. We're right towards the upper end of that range right now, and the NASDAQ still underperforming 12,753 for the composite. The NASDAQ composite overall, up that one quarter of a percent, now brings the all-time high to the drop level that we are here of down 10%. So again, some traders call it correction territory, but we'll say a 10% pullback from the record highs. It was down as much as 13% at one point. So again, the NASDAQ continues to be a focus here. One other place to watch, you mentioned those energy stocks. Oil prices continue to climb. It looks like OPEC and its partner countries aren't going to do as much with supply as we thought they were going to. Still, though, take a look at this. Over the last six months, that's a 50 to 51% gain for the S&P 500 energy sector ETF. Meanwhile, the S&P in that same span is up 10 to 11%, so almost five times the outperformance there. And of course, crude oil prices up 65% during that span as well. And then the ARK ETFs, the flagship tech innovation ETF, ticker ARKK, is now down roughly 28% from its record highs here. It was down as much as 33% at one point. But again, when you have Tesla, Square, Teladoc, Roku is some of your biggest holdings. Those names have taken it hard on the chin. We'll see if ARK Innovations ETF there, ARKK, can find some kind of footing here. Back over to you, Bri. Yeah, good stuff there. And by the way, yesterday in the OPEC press conference, virtually, Dom, I asked the Saudi energy minister if he's got a message for U.S. oil companies. He said the era of drill, baby, drill is over. He does not see production coming back. Why prices up? Dom Chu, great stuff, buddy, as always. Thank you. All right. In the meantime, the fuse that got lit under stocks continues to burn, and that is bond yields. They are moving higher again. In fact, up past 1.6% of the 10-year. 
So by the way, all you prospective home buyers out there, you might have to get ready for some slightly higher mortgage rates. Let's find out what is going on in the bond market, what people are saying. Rick Santelli joining us now with that. Rick. Thanks, Sully. You know, it's always fascinating to me. If this wasn't a post-COVID environment, if we didn't have so many huge policies brought forth by central banks, all this stimulus, well, stocks moving up and rates moving up, that's the perfect elixir. But at this point in time, not so much, because we don't know how you're going to pull back some of these Fed issues that have put so much gasoline in the market. Look at an intro of 10s and 30s. Yes, we came off our best levels. We had a pretty good non-farm payroll day. And if you look at from last Thursday, the 25th, when everything was just spiking, we did trade above that 161 spike in 10s. We didn't on 30s. Open the chart up to January of 2020. 10s and 30s. 10s are at 13... Uh, 13-month highs, yes, and 30s are at 14-month highs. One week of the spread is really fascinating. Consider, 10s at 155 are up 14. Twos are unchanged. So that means 10s minus 2 spread brings all those 14 basis points on board. It's up 14 on the week. It's at 132-ish. And as you look at the chart, it is at the best levels in nearly five and a half years. Two-day of the dollar index, it's just zooming. And if you look at it from November 1st, Wow, in January, it looked like we were going to go well under 90. It's made an awesome comeback. Why? Higher rates. Sully, back to you. Well, when you got a job market that's starting to take off, an economy that's starting to open up, and the prospect of $1.9 trillion getting paid into the next, say, seven or eight years, it's, it's amazing what that might do. A trillion dollars, Rick, is still a big sum of money, I'm told. Yeah, no, I mean, you know how thin a dollar bill is. If you stack dollar bills a trillion high, you'll only go up about 67,700 miles, you know, and and this is, listen, I am not saying that there isn't a need out there, Sully, but you bring it up, I bring it up, and the market's paying attention to it because it's much of this money isn't going to even be spent in the near term on COVID-related issues, and it's going to definitely be Watch out, don't light a match, because there's going to be a lot of vapors of stimulus in the air for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Listen, a lot of that money, like the educational money, is going to be paid out through 2028. So you're right. It does stretch out. It'll have an impact over the next few years as well. Rick Santelli, thank you, buddy. Have a good weekend. I wonder if that's the actual number, 67,000. All right. Well, as Dom and Rick said, a wild Friday to end a wild week. Now, stocks turning positive today. You can see there in the green But overall, it's been a very rough week for many investors in higher growth tech names, names like a Salesforce or a Snowflake or others. The NASDAQ 100 and broader NASDAQ both still about 10% from their highs, while the S&P 500 and the Dow are off their highs by about 5 and 3% respectively. Let's talk about where to allocate money now and bring in Charles Babrinskoy, Vice Chairman and Head of Investment Group at Ariel Investments, and Mike Hunstad, Head of Quantitative Strategies and Equity Research for Northern Trust Asset Management. Uh, Charles, I'll start with you because you've got an interesting mix of names. I mean, we're supposed to like pullbacks in stocks, right? I mean, you want to buy lower, I'm told, and then sell higher. You like a fertilizer company. You like the New York Knicks parent, which is there's a joke in there somewhere. Tell us about some of these names. Are they all reopen type trades? Well, we like Madison Square Garden Entertainment which owns the real estate. It owns uh, not the sports team. It owns the stadium in which people are going to start coming back in in droves. And there's been nobody in that stadium, and there are going to be a lot of people in that stadium. They also own Radio City Music Hall. They own the Chicago Theater. uh, And they're building the Sphere in Las Vegas. 
And all of those things are going to start having lots and lots of people because there is a lot of pent-up demand for in-person viewing. And so we think it's going to do very well. And the other thing, it's quality real estate. And quality real estate does very well in an inflationary environment. And we are about to see the inflationary environment that we really haven't seen for almost 40 years. Wow. Mike, are, are you that, I don't know if it's bullish or bearish on the inflation call? Do you agree with Charles? I mean, there's a lot of value still in some of these, quote, reopen stocks. Yeah, there's absolutely room to go here. You know, given the multiples where value are trading at currently, there is room to, to grow. Uh, and given the macroeconomic conditions, absolutely. When you look at these spreads between value and growth securities, still near all-time highs. And keep in mind that the earnings growth of value stocks actually better than growth stocks, especially as financials and energies come off of their cyclically depressed lows. That's going to give a big boost to the upside. Now, in contrast, some of the bigger tech names, just single-digit earnings growth into 2022. So absolutely still convicted that value will continue to do well in 2021. Yeah, and then we talk about energy. Charles, obviously, I'm kind of talking my book. I mean, that's the sector and segment that I cover. We know the boom in oil. We've shown, Dom showed the audience how the energy stocks have taken off. You still like a name like Apache. So you're obviously not scared off by the recent run in some of these or all of these names. Yeah, Apache has great assets. They, they, uh, they're the exception to the rule. In general, we don't like commodity companies. We don't like businesses that have no sustainable competitive advantage. There's only one Madison Square Garden. There's a lot of people uh, exploring and drilling oil. But Apache just has uh, wonderful reserves here. And at $66 a barrel, which is where we are right now with WTI, this is a name that's going to do very well in the short term. I probably won't own it forever because the oil business is not a good business. But right now is a good mm -hmm. time to own Apache. You know, Mike, I, sometimes you get in a rut in this job, and I'm always asking people, what do they buy? And I should probably ask, what are you selling? Where, where are you raising cash to buy the stuff that you do like? What's, what's already made all your clients all the money they're going to in the near term? It's the high-volatility, low-quality securities that are, we, we think are going to be out of favor soon. There's been a massive junk rally since the vaccine announcement in November. Uh, those stocks have had their day in the sun. Junk rallies, they tend to be very severe, but they tend to also be very short. As a result of that, we're selling down the high-volatility, low-quality, going into those high-value stocks that have a higher-quality orientation. From a macroeconomic perspective, from a fundamental perspective, we think we feel these securities are going, to, are going to outperform in the future. So without mentioning names, what you're saying is companies with really bad credit ratings and horrible balance sheets that had big rallies because everybody just needed something to buy. Is that a fair <laughs> broad brush, yeah, Mike? Yeah. Low profitability, bad cash flow, bad balance sheets, lots of leverage on the balance sheets as well. Those are the securities. Again, they've done well since the, the vaccine announcement. Uh, but we, we're already seeing some of that start to come off. Yeah, they did well because the, the threat of going to zero might have gone away. But you say avoid them now. They made all the money. Charles and Mike, great discussion, guys. Have a terrific weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Brian. You. Well, it appears that some state governments have figured out something really important about how to grow jobs, allow businesses to actually open or reopen or add capacity. All right, snark aside, it's what's starting to happen. As more states ease restrictions and more people get the jab, hiring is starting to surge. 
Last month, 379,000 jobs were almost all added in the travel and hospitality sector. Look at that. 355 of the 379,000 total. The get out and travel trade picking up steam. And Bank of America saying it is seeing a rise in consumer spending, particularly on plane tickets and particularly among the older generation. Joining us now is Michelle Meyer, head of U.S. economics at Bank of America Global Research. Michelle, welcome. Not trying to toot the horn, but back on February 11th, I was at the airport and I tweeted that there seemed to be a lot of seniors getting on planes. And I thought it might be the start of like a vaccination tourism business. And it appears that you have got some data to back up that anecdotal comment. We do, uh, certainly. Uh, We are carefully monitoring aggregated spend on Bank of America credit debit cards to understand those important trends in consumer spending. When we start to see these pivots around, um, as you just noted, vaccinations potentially changing the composition of spend, some of the regional distinctions around what kind of COVID restrictions we see. And what we've recently observed is that the older generation, 75 and above, Um, starting about a month ago, um, began to accelerate spending on airfare at a rate in excess of what we saw for other generations, other age groups. And really fascinating, you don't actually see that same level of acceleration when you look just at lodging. It's showing up in airfare, but not lodging. So one potential conclusion is that people are booking trips, they are traveling, but maybe to see family at the moment rather than necessarily to go out and take vacations, at least amongst that age group. Um, but again, the important that, thing is, you know, that Michelle, Michelle, that's let me jump in because yeah. w- when I was at the airport and, you know, N95 mask and there was a, uh, a an older woman in a wheelchair and she had yeah. somebody with her. And I just said, I'm sorry to bother you. I just have a question. Are you have you been vaccinated and are you traveling because of that? I wasn't some, some weirdo bothering her. Yeah. And she kind of <laughs> almost got teared up and said she was going to see her family, her kids yeah. that were, you know, my age that she hasn't seen in over a year. And it sounds like your data is back. My parents are are coming up here next weekend. I have not seen them, or at least I haven't seen my my mother since Christmas of 2019. This, and there's a lot, millions. This could be the start of an economic cycle as well, could it not? Well, I think that's exactly right. I mean, people are looking to be reunited. And once they feel like there's a level of safety after getting vaccinated, I think there's a real sense of urgency to bring families back together. Um, And the card data is very much supporting that premise. Um, As we look further into the future, as you see a greater share of the country be vaccinated, then presumably you're also going to have people super anxious to go ahead and take trips and leisure travel um, and to spend and to live in a way that they didn't feel comfortable doing when you had a higher threat of the virus. Yeah, we're showing the TSA numbers, by the way, Michelle. I know you probably don't have the output of CNBC there, but five, and if we could throw it up again, guys, five of the last eight days, we have seen more than a million people go through a TSA checkpoint at the airport. That is the most million. We had a few million days around Christmas and New Year's, but now we're starting to see it still 50% down from 2019 and 2020, even pre-pandemic. But we are starting to see this activity point up and You know, as we see the vaccine rollout coming, Michelle, do you see this super cycle of spending, this this roaring 20s redux in in the summer and fall as everybody just, you know, as the as the age groups come down and the jabs roll out and they're picking up pace? 
it could be a boom time like we've never seen in our lives. I truly believe that. Yeah, I mean, we are very bullish on the economy. We have been for some time. For annual GDP growth, we're looking for 6.5% this year on a Q4 of a Q4 basis. That's in excess of 7%. And what's driving that bullish trajectory for growth is the consumer. The consumer has shown a willingness to spend. And I think very importantly, they are going to have an even greater ability to spend in the sense of, you know, once there's a bigger reopening in the economy, once people feel like it's safe to go back and reengage, I think you very, 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 very much will, will see that happen. And we're getting those early signs of it. Another extremely important point is that they have the finances, the support to spend as well. There's a lot of dry powder out there on household balance sheets, something close to $2 yep. trillion in excess savings and more coming. So they have the ability, they have the desire, and we do think we're going to see some pretty exceptional uh, numbers around consumer spending in coming months. All those baby boomers who bought Bitcoin when it was $0.25, cents, they're going to just Dogecoin, they're going to spend it all as they travel to see their family and do whatever the, do whatever the heck they want. Michelle Meyer, yeah. Bank of America Global <laughs> Research, as always, spectacular research there. Really happy a lot of these folks are finally able to get out and see their folks. And, Mom, if you're watching, I'll see you next weekend. Michelle, thank you. You got All right, it. Thank you. on deck. What the options market, you're welcome, what the options market is saying about where stocks may be headed and why may not be good news for Kathy Wood's arc. And let's just get crude, shall we? Why oil is going one way and big tech the other. Look at that. And on what's been a tough week overall, here's a look at this week's biggest Dow laggards. Home Depot, Salesforce, Intel, Nike, all down pretty big this week. Overall, markets basically flat to slightly higher, though. A little turn coming. We're back right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with P. Jim, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back. Some say the options market is kind of like a crystal ball into stocks, where the big options bets are being placed may give us rare insight into what hedge funds and possibly millions of retail traders are thinking. And this week has brought some big moves on everything from Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF, the ARK, to the Semiconductor ETF, SMH, and the Treasury Bond ETFs as well, TLT and TIP. And here now to break it all down, what am I mean is Chris Murphy, co-head of Derivative Strategy for Susquehanna Financial Group. Chris, good to see you again. Listen, a lot of our viewers who made a lot of money in Kathy Wood's ARK, if they're still holding on, because they're probably still up. Let's be just very clear. It's had a rough run, but it still had a heck of a run from the bottom. They're probably wondering, where does this thing go? Is the options market giving you any clues as to what the components of that index may do? Sure. Thank you. And obviously, there's been a major focus on ARC this week. Uh, we saw a record put volume yesterday, 302,000 contracts, and we're outpacing that so far today. 
Just to rewind a bit, we noticed a big uptick in hedging in February, uh, a lot of put buying mid middle of February. And of course, we saw the notable outflows uh, a week or two ago. Uh, but one thing that really caught our eye was the uh, pretty dramatic shift in skew. So we looked at this on Monday. If you were to rewind to uh, uh, the middle of December, you had a situation where the volatility of the upside calls and the volatility of the downside puts were kind of equivalent. Um, fast forward to this Monday, you know, vol at the money volatility was kind of around the same spot. But what you saw in the options was a big move lower in the volatility uh, priced into the upside calls and a big move higher in the volatility that's priced into the upside puts. So that was kind of a response to where investors maybe see volatility and risk going, but also a response to the mark, the order flow with, uh, you know, those record put volumes trading recently. Um, so, you know, if we're going to be looking at uh, the arc here, you know, at least in the options, they're pricing in more volatility to the downside than they are to the upside. Okay, more volatility potentially to the downside, to the upside, maybe not what those holders want to hear. I'm also surprised in looking at some of your recent research, Chris, that the call buying on a bond ET, the TLT, I mean, the most maybe the most boring thing in the world, a lot of options activity. What's going on? Just that move in yield? Sure. Yeah. So the TLT is the 20 plus year bond ETF. Um, and it's obviously had a pretty poor uh, last couple of weeks, down about 10 percent um, over the last maybe five or six weeks. But what we did notice yesterday is a big increase in call volume, uh, both compared to the puts and on an absolute level. And a lot of that volume was near term call buying. Um, so whether that is investors who are short, obviously, there's been reports it's a pretty crowded short these days who are looking to hedge the, the gains that they've made or, you know, someone looking at, uh, you know, the bond, U.S. Treasury bond, maybe being a little bit oversold and thinking it's due for a bounce back. Either way, it was a notable increase in call buying in those TLT uh, options that we saw yesterday. I want to switch gears and kind of throw an audible and talk Tesla for next week, Chris, because a buddy of mine who's a trader, he's a contact, he, he probably trades with you, by the way. He told me about a year ago, he said, Tesla is not important to the stock market. It is the stock market. He was being a little tongue in cheek, but he meant it because as a, he's really kind of a Delta One derivatives trader. So many bets are placed on Tesla in the options market, these baskets, Delta One, these, some of these complex hedge fund strategies. How Tesla's out next week. How important is Tesla to the overall market, if at all? Well, I think it's a very important sentiment uh, indicator, just as ARK is as well. I mean, you know, now that it's a part of the S&P, it's been a part of the NASDAQ, it certainly will pull down those when it is selling off. Um, but, you know, I think it is more of a sentiment indicator than maybe it, you know, actually impacts the broader moves of the stock market when Tesla's down. It's still a pretty small part of the S&P 500. Um, but I would certainly believe that if we see Tesla turn around and start to rally, that's going to help the ARK ETF. That's going to help the tech sector in general. That's going to help sentiment. So um, to, to your point, I do think it is a very important of the stock market. It probably outpunches even its weight in the S&P 500 or in the NASDAQ. Yeah, very important name out next week. Could be another volatile week. Chris Murphy looking into that crystal ball. We appreciate it, buddy. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. And be sure to catch Closing Bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time on Monday. So it's not today, it's Monday. First on CNBC interview with the person everybody wants to talk to, Kathy Wood, founder and CEO of ARK Invest. A lot of interest there. That, that ARK Invest has made a lot of people a lot of money. It's had a tough month. That's 3 p.m. Monday on Closing Bell. All right, coming up, are you looking for inflation? Well, one place you'll definitely find it, no argument, is the car lot. We'll look at why and what it might mean for you. Plus, 
A fascinating story around the vaccine rollout. It's gotten so fast that everybody from vets to podiatrists to veterinarians are being called upon to put shots in arms. Kate Rogers up with that story next. And by the way, the Dow is at session highs right now. Let's take a look at the sectors that are moving the markets. In fact, what a turn from this morning. 10 of the 11 S&P sectors, they are in the green. The NASDAQ is back up about 1%. The buyers have come in on a Friday. We'll see if that lasts with about two and a half hours to the closing bell. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Hope you're having a good Friday wherever you are. And the markets are suddenly having a pretty good Friday. We're actually at session highs. The major indexes, two of the three anyway, are up more than 1%. The Dow is up 350 points. We were down this morning, so it's been quite a turnaround session, quite a volatile session for stocks. At one point, the Nasdaq was down as much as 2.5%, so really a 3.5% turn for the technology stocks. That is not something you see every day. Not exactly sure what's behind it, except obviously there's some money coming in because there's more buying pressure than selling pressure. All right, let's look at the 10-year. That has been a certainly big story this week as well. And the benchmark 10-year yield ticking down just a bit, 1.55%. Leading, once again, it's the year of the oil and gas company. Energy stocks, they continue to be on fire as the price of oil continues to go up. Consumer staples for the consumer companies as well. The cruise stocks, by the way, they're actually down. Norwegian, Carnival, Royal Caribbean, some of the bigger decliners in the S&P 500 right now. A large stock offering by Norwegian, perhaps pressuring that stock and the group as well. Alternative energy stocks, also renewables, they continue to slide. Enphase, the battery company, Blink, Fuel Cell, they are all down, but not as much as they were earlier in the session. A different story for some of the brick and mortar and mall-based retailers. Gap, on pace for its eighth straight weekly gain. American Eagle, Urban Outfitters, also outperforming the broader market this week. Who'd have thunk it, actually? Some of the brick and mortars doing well. All right, let's step outside the stock market and get a CNBC News update. For that, we we'll go to Rahel Salah. Rahel. Hello, Brian. Hi, everyone. Prosecutors can again seek to reinstate a third-degree murder charge against former policeman Derek Chauvin and the death of George Floyd. Three-judge panel said that the trial judge's reasoning was flawed when he initially rejected a motion to reinstate the murder charge. Chauvin already faces a second-degree murder charge. Jury selection for the trial begins on Monday. McAfee's software founder, John McAfee, has been indicted for fraud and money laundering. That's involving cryptocurrencies. Prosecutors say that his team pulled in $13 million from investors with their, quote, fraudulent schemes. The Food and Drug Administration says that it will increase testing of baby food. That's after a congressional report found dangerous levels of toxic heavy metals in many brands of food for infants and young children. The agency says that current testing shows no immediate health risk. And House impeachment manager Eric Swalwell is suing former President Trump, his lawyer Rudy Giuliani, 
and others. He claims they conspire to violate civil rights and incite a riot at the Capitol. And be sure to watch the news with Shepard Smith to see what this and other lawsuits hope to accomplish and also how Trump allies are dismissing them. Brian, if you're up to date, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you very much. Well, it is Friday, I'm told, and that means it is time to look ahead to what might be in store for your money next week. Here is your Friday Fast Forward. It's the second week of March, and as the weather starts to warm up, the earnings parade cools off. But there are still some big names on deck. Stitch Fix, Adidas, Ulta, and DocuSign all reporting. And Bumble delivers its first-ever quarterly numbers. The stock up more than 40% since its IPO in mid-February. We'll get an inside look at the state of small business with the NFIB survey. Plus, CPI for February will give us the latest read on inflation. Roblox hits the public market in a direct listing on Wednesday. Disney holds its annual shareholder meeting. And as we approach the one-year anniversary of the World Health Organization declaring the coronavirus a global pandemic, Texas is ready to lift all COVID-related restrictions. That's your Friday Fast Forward. All right, look forward to that next week. Well, as the vaccine supply ramps up and ramps up fast, we're now averaging 2 million shots a day for the first time ever. Another problem is starting to pop up. Not enough people qualified to actually give the shots. So facilities have gotten creative. Kate Rogers joining us now. So Kate is my veterinarian. Is the doctor my dog goes to see? Is, is he going to be the one starting to put the, put the needle in my arm? Depends on what state you're in, Brian. So President Biden has put out the call for vaccinators as supply, of course, is continuing to ramp up. Retired doctors and nurses have been brought back, along with 1,500 federal medical personnel that typically work for FEMA during natural disasters with much more to come. But that's not all. States across the country are now enlisting the likes of podiatrists, dental hygienists, and even veterinarians in some cases to help out with the effort. For Dr. Erica Ball in Connecticut, the call to serve humans was a natural extension of what she already does day to day. We are big believers in the what vaccinations can do. Um, you know, we are also shepherds of, of public health. You know, we uh, vaccinate uh, pets, cats and dogs and other domestic species for rabies uh, in the interests of public health. So this is actually right up our alley. And Ball isn't alone. The American Veterinary Medical Association says its members are eager to join the ranks. If you need us, we're here. How can we assist? So there is a great deal of interest within the veterinary community, I think, to assist to make sure that we do our part in helping keep the um, human population healthy and safe as well. Efforts from Ball and other vaccinators like her, of course, will be crucial, Brian, in the coming months as the supply of vaccines starts to grow. President Biden announced enough doses for all American adults by the end of May, which is, of course, very welcome news. Back over to you. Yeah, it is, Kate. And, and by the way, a huge thank you to everybody out there that has been volunteering. In fact, in, in Yankee Stadium is going to go 24 7. So you're going to have volunteers and people out there at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Thank you to all of them. By the way, Kate, if people out there are watching and want to volunteer, what would be required to do so? 
So check with your state and find out if you're someone who would be able to volunteer, like a podiatrist, a veterinarian, a dental hygienist. There is some online training, for example, in Connecticut, also some in-person training. And the doctor we spoke to, Dr. Ball, said she needed to be up to date on certain vaccinations herself. She's going through rounds for Hep B updates. So once she's done with that and gets her COVID vaccine, she'll be able to go out and volunteer. And as you said, thanks to everyone who's doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Kate Rogers, thank you. Really fascinating and important story, Kate. Thank you. All right, coming up from the fang to the fang. As tech falls out of favor, energy is picking up the slack. It's an ocean-sized gap that is growing now between oil and gas and big tech. What's next? Paul Hickey bespoke is here. And we're going to reveal the stock that saw the most insider buying this week. That's right. Your exclusive look at the top five stocks with the most insider buying. And the top one had six different executives all buying up the stock this week. There's your chart, the name coming up. All right, welcome back. Well, technology, of course, was the trade of 2020, but lately it's been like a foreigner song, cold as ice. The triple Q tech ETF is down 8% in a month. 35 stocks in the NASDAQ 100 are down even more than that. Now, on the flip side is oil and gas. Of course, it was hated and sold all year. Many stocks and companies literally left for dead as everyone piled into ESG investing. But what a turn it's been. Oil and gas, the hottest trade of 2021. And get this random but interesting stat from our friends at Bespoke Investment Group. Over the last six months, energy is outpacing technology by more than 40%. And that is the widest margin in nearly 20 years. Let's bring in the man who figured this all out and brought us that stat and more. Paul Hickey, co-founder of Bespoke Investment Group. I don't know, Paul, if the wisest oil sage out there, anybody I talked to could have figured out that oil and gas and energy stocks would be this hot this year. What a turn. Yeah, uh, Brian, it's been quite a year so far. And like you were saying earlier, quite a six months. We've seen the widest outperformance, like you said, in um, you know going back almost 20 years. And what's really interesting is it's a complete opposite of where we were just a few, you know, several months ago, where tech was outperforming energy by over a six-month period by the widest margin in, in about 20 years. So it's really been this um, quite qu- quick uh, switching of, uh, flipping of the switch, so to speak. Yeah, and, and, and so, it's, uh, it, I mean, I, you can't say it's money coming out of technology and into oil and gas. You know, we don't know, but it certainly appears that there is an element of that, despite the fact that we hear all this about ESG investing and literally big funds, some of them endowments at universities, are not allowed to own oil and gas. Right, so you make a good point. It, it's like a point we made up with the small caps uh, you, you know, late last year, is that it doesn't take a whole lot of um, capital to get the sector moving uh, or to get small caps. Small caps were like the size of, were smaller than Apple at one point uh, last year. And energy is like less than a fifth of the size of the technology sector. So when you get that uh, wide of a move, it doesn't need, you don't need a full rotation out of technology and into energy to get this type of move. It doesn't take a lot at all. It's, it, it's a, the, techno- the energy sector was 3% of the S&P 500 and the technology sector was over 25%. So 
Um, it doesn't take a whole lot yeah. to get a sector yeah. moving when it's that far out of favor. Yeah, and, and by the way, as the Occidental CEO told us on a CNBC Evolve event, part of the interview is up on our website, by the way, if you've got demand growing, but the inability to drill more wells due to either banning on federal lands, which is about 14% of oil and gas drilling, you're going to have fewer people that have to meet greater demand, which, of course, we know what that means. It means that the prices and values of those assets goes up. Do you think this can continue or do you think the trend is over, Paul? No, I, I think you could see this trend continue. And I think what you were just talking about, you have this drying, you, you have this drying up of the supply of assets, which creates you know, higher prices for it. What we're seeing in the market right now, too, is growth stocks, and which is a lot of the technology sector, are coming under pressure right now. Because think about it. Last year at this time, there was no growth to be had, or there was very little. And what there was was in the technology sector and in some of these mm-hmm. uh, high growth stocks. Now we're in a situation we're looking forward. We're going to see some of the strongest economic growth in decades, uh, as economists are telling us. So there's growth all over the place. So suddenly that scarce asset of, you know, of growth um, in earnings is all over the place. And so the law of you know, economics 101, more supply leads to lower prices. So uh, when you have these high growth stocks now, which were very dear, some of the air is deflating out of them, whereas yeah. the value stocks, yeah. which we had a lot of, Um, are becoming more in demand. Really good point there. You know, I I feel like it's the the Jimmy Stewart movie. Every time an angel gets its wings, a bell is rolling. Every time you make a really good point, the dog barks. It's like like a seal of approval. You know, (laughs) I don't have a dog. Or maybe those are mine. I I have two dogs (laughs) milling about the door. Paul Hickey, great stuff. Oil and gas, always fascinating stats from the good folks at Bespoke. All right, coming up, the perfect segue. We're going to stick with energy and talk to one of the leading players in the liquefied natural gas game. That is the founder of Tellurian and Chenier, Sharif Suki, will join us next on The Exchange. And as we head to break, take a look at Bitcoin having a wild session today. It is currently higher right now by about 300 bucks. It has been down big. It has been up a bit. Kind of mirrors the equity market. Dow's up 400 points now. And we're back after this. Time for our weekly look at insider buying, an exclusive dive into the top five stocks being bought by their own executives. All the data coming from InsiderScore.com with our thanks. And as we count you down five to one, let us get it started right now. Stock number five, retailer Macy's, a board member buying 610000 worth of that stock. Stock four, Avangrid, AGR, CEO buying $1.16 million worth of this Connecticut-based energy distributor. The third most insider buying, Royalty Pharma, RPRX, a new name to us, a director buying $1.2 million worth of the stock, down 19%, by the way, this year, maybe finding some value. Second most insider buying, Crown Castle, chairman buying $1.22 million worth. By the way, watch this name. This is that director's ninth buy in the stock, and Insider Score says he has timed the other eight pretty well in the past. And the stock, with the most insider buying last week, is Agree Realty, ADC. Six insiders, six, including the CEO, CFO, and others, buying a total of $3.9 million worth of this name. Stock is down 18% in just the past month. So this is a huge buy by multiple insiders on ADC. So there you go. The top insider buys this week, 
But we're going to leave you with one big sell. Virgin Galactic dropping double digits after billionaire investor Chamath Palihapitiya dumping all of his $213 million personal stake this week. He still owns indirectly some shares, though, through his SPAC. In a statement to CNBC, Chamath said that he plans to put the proceeds toward a large investment in fighting climate change. End quote. So there you go. Macy's Avant Grid, Royalty Pharma, Crown Castle, and Agree Realty. Names to watch. Be sure to watch this segment, by the way, next Friday. Back on Worldwide Exchange, 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I'll be back there, and I will see you with a big cup of coffee at that hour. Well, now to a big interview in the natural gas and LNG world, and a perfect one following a huge Texas power outage and failure of the energy grid. Joining us now is Sharif Suki, is co-founder and executive chairman of Tellurian, also founder of Chenier Energy as well, and a man who literally, whose name you see on a lot of things in the Houston energy grid. Sharif, thank you very much for joining us. What, if anything, should we learn, did we learn from that insane and impossible to conceive power outage two weeks ago? Brian, thank you very much for having me today. Uh, I think uh, if you put it in context, we now have the two largest states in the country having dysfunctional grids. Uh, California with blackouts through the summer. And now I was watching uh, on one of the CNBC uh, shows this week, the governor of Texas, Governor Abbott, uh, who regrets that they did not recommend a blackout in Texas in order to deal with the crisis. So very simply put, we have an inadequacy of the grid on the national basis. And we also have a lack of clarity in terms of the fuel source that we want uh, to use in terms of providing the electricity that is going to need it uh, as we continue to elect- electrify the, the energy space in the United States. So this is very serious. On two Your scores. company relies on you need natural gas, Sharif, and part of the, just like a power plant. And part of the problem was Everything kind of failed at the same time. Pipelines and gauges, knobs literally froze and prices surged. Do you think the industry is willing, is able to make the investment dollars to make sure this does not happen again if we get a similar winter storm? Uh, The short answer is no, because the regulatory uh, environment is not there to justify making an investment today on a long term basis. Uh, But this will change. And the decision will be pushed down to the consumer who increasingly will have to ground himself in order uh, to secure his electricity for his home. So either they'll put solar panels on their roofs or they will uh, buy generators as they do in California and in Texas today and use natural gas to provide their own electricity. So at the moment, the grid is dysfunctional. And the customer in the country is starting to say, uh, I don't think I can rely on the grid. I have to uh, provide for myself. Yeah. So there's a huge be, be challenge. My own grid. Yeah, there's a huge challenge in yeah, terms with a, of... With a ra- solar panel on the roof and a battery pack. Very quickly, Sharif, I, I want to wrap it up. I'm running out of time with this one, which is yesterday the Occidental CEO told us in a CNBC event that she does not see oil and I guess gas production resuming to pre-pandemic levels maybe ever again, do you agree? She said gas production or or oil production? She was talking oil, but of course gas is a byproduct largely of of oil drilling. 
no, I think Gans will continue to increase. She's in a better position to figure out uh, what's going to happen to oil. She's got one of the best footprints in the Permian Basin. So I take her word for oil. On the gas basis, we have some room to run. Uh, the major outside of the associated gas in the Permian Basin, the Hainesville, the Marcellus, have a lot of gas. We just need to produce it and start drilling for it. Sharif Suki, chairman and founder of Tellurian. Sharif, we appreciate your insight. As always, joining us here on CNBC, thank you. Best to you and your family. Take care. Thank you, Brian. All right. Thank you. All right. Still ahead. Are you in the market for a used car? Maybe a new car? Well, you better be prepared to pay more for both of those options. Fill a bow up next on where inflation is really hitting. And a quick programming note, Jim Cramer off next week. So CNBC will bring you a special show at 6 p.m. called On the Edge. Sharp opinions, the hottest takes and fierce debates about the biggest players and news in the business world. It's hosted by Scott Wapner, 6 p.m. Eastern next week. Don't miss it. We're back up to this. All right, well, welcome back to The Exchange. If you want to get a gauge on at least certain types of inflation, look no further than the auto lot, where prices for new models have been rising. Phil Lebeau now is here with more. Phil. Brian, those prices are close to an all-time high, at least when you look at transaction prices. And here's the reason why. The automakers and the suppliers are dealing with Real cost inflation, especially when it comes to raw materials. This is according to Alex Partners. This is an automotive consulting firm. Look at the end of the chart here. That is per vehicle, almost $2,800. That's the raw material cost up, what, almost $1,152 year over year, a staggering increase. And when you go the numbers within the numbers, look at the raw material prices, specific raw materials. Platinum metals, and we're talking primarily rhodium here, up 135%. Steel is doubled in price. Copper, up 47%. Aluminum, up 26%. And this is pressuring the margins not only of the automakers, but also of their suppliers. And yet, over the last year, the auto suppliers, they have moved higher in conjunction with the rest of the industry because of the belief that, look, electric vehicles are coming. That's going to be the growth area in the future. And that's why the automakers, while their margins are being squeezed as well, those stocks have also moved up because of the EV optimism that is out there. Bottom line is this, Brian. You will see the automakers talk about this when the earnings report comes around. They are really facing margin pressure. Some of this is being passed on to the consumer in terms of higher prices, but it's a definite problem for the industry. And, and maybe for buyers as well, though at least interest rates are still low on the auto loans. We could stretch them to 112 months or something. Philibo, uh, thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. You bet. All right. Goes quick on a Friday. You're welcome. And that is it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.